0: I'm a real big fan of the original Halloween movie, the John Carpenter version. But my Halloween the movie story is about the Rob Zombie film of the same name. I had not planned to see the Rob Zombie film in theaters. My viewing of it happened rather by chance. I had gone to see the movie King of Kong, a fistful of quarters one night at a small movie house in the city I lived in. While walking back, I noticed a couple of people wearing Michael Myers masks walking towards the larger movie theater in my city. I was intrigued, and I followed them, and I noticed, well, they're doing a midnight showing of Halloween. Now, even though I had not planned to see the Rob Zombie movie in the theaters, I do love midnight movie showings of any film. So I bought a ticket, got in line, walked up to the lobby, and was surprised to see dozens of people dressed as Michael Myers. It was a bit eerie, but I thought, wow, this is really cool, and I wished I had had my camera with me. I waited about a half hour, and then me and all the Michael Myers lined up and we went into the theater. I was about right in the middle and got a seat a little off to the side in the center good seat. Slowly but surely the movie theater began to fill up with other Michael Myers. Perhaps it was a meetup. I'm not sure, maybe somebody posted something online that everybody should dress as Michael Myers. But the majority of people in this theater were dressed as Michael Myers, which is cool at first, but when you're watching a movie about a killer and the movie theater you're in is filled with people dressed as that killer, it becomes unnerving. And of course I would look around and dismiss this with kind of nervous laughter, oh this is pretty funny, but inside I was thinking this is really weird. This is at the core of childhood psychosis about movie serial killers. Then something really unusual happened. I needed to use the bathroom. I went down to the bathroom, maybe about 45 minutes into the film. It was empty, but not for long. Very quickly, a Michael Myers came in. Went to the urinal next to me. Then another. By the time I was ready to go wash my hands there were five or six Michael Myers in the bathroom waiting in line all waiting to use stalls or urinals. The weird thing is it's like they were all in character because none of them were speaking which I really appreciated the commitment to reality but I really wanted them all to talk even when I would politely go hey a nice costume. Nothing. I can't tell you what a relief it was to get out of that bathroom and back into the darkened theater. I kind of moved over to the side so that there wasn't a Michael Myers directly behind me at that point, although there were a few in front of me. I can't say I loved the remake, but I did love the experience of seeing the movie that day. It reminded me of why I like the original Michael Myers. That character is very unsettling, and a movie theater full of those characters is even more unsettling. On today's show, we're going to talk about the original Halloween. We're going to talk about its inception, its creation, its reception. We'll talk about the sequels it spawned, its influences on pop culture, and we got a lot of great stuff to cover. So, without further ado, let's start the show. The story of how Halloween got made begins in the late 70s, after John Carpenter had finished work on a movie called Assault on Precinct 13, which was a retelling of the Howard Hawks movie Rio Bravo and involved cops fighting off a gang who feel that they've been wronged. The movie was distributed by an independent film producer named Irwin Yablins, who had a company called Turtle Releasing. Assault was released in the U.S., did not do so well. Then they brought it over to Europe, and it became quite a hit in Europe. It was popular enough that they entered the film into a few film festivals. It was during the London Film Festival that a financier, whose name should be familiar to anyone who has watched the Halloween movies, Mustafa Akkad. Akkad saw the movie, and at the time was looking to get into the American film market. He and Yavlins talked, and... Decided that there was something more in this young director, John Carpenter, and they went to him with a project idea that they had in mind. He wanted a movie about babysitters being stalked by a psychopath. So Carpenter and his partner and girlfriend, Deborah Hill, began drafting a story titled The Babysitter Murders now the title would not be the babysitter murders obviously but the change actually came from yablins who just out of the blue one night called carpenter and said why don't we set the movie on halloween it'll be much moodier perfect a quick name change and a franchise was born so they had found Mustafa akkad and wanted money from him but he wasn't absolutely convinced that john carpenter was the right man for the job so to convince him carpenter sat down with akkad and then did a frame-by-frame, almost minute-by-minute direction of the movie in front of him. Akkad was sold, so he ponied up $320,000 to make the first Halloween. Since the movie had such a low budget, almost everyone in the movie did double duty or triple duty, and many people would forego paychecks on the film, or would take flat fees, which, when the film would do real well, would come back to haunt them. We'll return after these messages... Scare am silly. Punk starring Ronald McDonald and the Chicken McNuggets. Ronald, nice to see you in this neck of the woods. Come on. What are you making? We're staring up secret sauces <laughs> for dipping. We're ready, boss. Let's make sauce. <laughs> oh well, at least I got my hair done. I have an idea. Whoop de do! McDonald's sauces. You can always count on them to be terrific. The yeah. good time, great taste of McDonald's. One of the things that Carpenter wanted, since he was foregoing a large fee, was creative control over the project. He also wanted Deborah Hill, his co-writer, to produce. He got all that and got to work. They had decided that the movie wouldn't be gory, necessarily. There are bits of gore in it. But instead, it would be more shocking, jump-in-your-face scary. They chose the name Haddonfield because Deborah Hill was raised in Haddonfield, New Jersey. Go, New Jersey! Many of the street names were taken from Carpenter's hometown of Bowling Green, Kentucky, and even the main character of Laurie Strode got her name from an old girlfriend of Carpenter's. The dialogue was split between the two writers, with the women's dialogue being written by Hill and Carpenter coming up with Loomis's speeches on the evil that was Michael Myers in interviews Yavlin has said that he insisted that that the movie should be like jaws in that they're not seeing the killer all the time and that the tension should be ratcheted up by the lack of presence of the killer that of course would be enhanced by the great music that went into the movie casting of the movie had to happen quickly they were on a really tight schedule originally carpenter thought it would be a great idea to get annie lockhart who was the daughter of june lockhart from lassie then someone brought up using Jamie Lee Curtis. And Jamie Lee was the daughter of Janet Lee. And they thought, wow, that would be great if we got Janet Lee's daughter, who was in Psycho, to be in this movie. Jamie was, at that point, pretty unknown. She was on the television version of Operation Petticoat at the time, which is interesting because her father was in the original Operation Petticoat movie. Happily, Jamie Lee Curtis decided to do Halloween one of the heavies that they would bring on to the film for the role of Dr. Loomis and that role went to an actor who had actually kind of been typecast as a villain before the Halloween movie and then he would be typecast yet again in his role as Dr. Loomis and that was Donald Pleasence was a great actor who added gravity and gave a sense of legitimacy to the Halloween movies in his Van Helsing like role before giving the role to Donald Pleasence Carpenter actually approached Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee to play the role of Loomis. Both of them turned him down. Lee would later say that it was the biggest mistake he ever made in his career. I think he's gone on and done some pretty good stuff since then, though. Rounding out the cast would be Nancy Keys as Andy Brackett, P.J. Souls as Linda Vanderklok, Charles Cyphers as Sheriff Lee Brackett, Kylie Richards as Lindsey Wallace, Brian Andrews as Tommy Doyle, John Michael Graham as Bob Sims, and interestingly, the role of Michael Myers would be played by two actors. One, Nick Castle. Nick Castle was the everyday Michael Myers walking around. But when Michael is unmasked at the end, it's Tony Moran. They chose Tony Moran over Nick Castle because they wanted someone with a more, I guess, angelic face to contrast more with how evil Michael Myers was. So we've got a solid cast with a lot of good standouts. But there was still one other thing missing, and that would be the look of the killer Michael Myers. The responsibility of creating the look of Michael Myers fell on Tommy Lee Wallace. His responsibilities at the time included production designer, art director, location scout, co-editor. As I said, people were wearing many hats in the movie. So he went and started looking for masks for Michael to wear. The first thing he brought was a clown mask. Now, everybody thought that that was kind of creepy, but it wasn't exactly what they wanted. They wanted something that was without life, something that wasn't necessarily human. So famously, Wallace went to Wheeler's Magic Shop on Hollywood Boulevard and bought a Captain Kirk mask. He then widened the eye holes and spray-painted the flesh bluish-white. The face was so unrecognizable as Shatner at that point, but it was beyond anything else. It was unidentifiable and very creepy. So now they had the last thing in place the look of the killer. Messages. We'll be right back. Carving your own Halloween pumpkin can be a lot of fun for grown ups. Hey kids, isn't this fun? But with the Pumpkin Cutter, children of all ages can easily design and carve their own Halloween pumpkins in complete safety. The Pumpkin Cutter is simple and safe to use. There are no sharp edges, yet it quickly cuts through all pumpkins smoothly. Any child can learn to use the Pumpkin Cutter the very first time. Make this Halloween extra special with the Pumpkin Cutter. The Pumpkin Cutter is available at Faze Drugs, Woolworth, Caldor, and Toys R Us. They had a very abbreviated shoot on the film. The movie was shot in 21 days in the spring of 1978 in South Pasadena, California. Now, I know what you're thinking. I had the same problem when I saw the movie. This movie perhaps looks like it was filmed in the Midwest or Northeast. That was not an easy thing for them to do. They had to mask the shots to make sure there's no palm trees, and if you actually look at some shots, some California style trees show up. Also, they couldn't find autumn leaves. This was the spring. So they had fake leaves, and then between each shot, They needed to rake them up and reuse them due to the low budget. So every time you saw those autumn leaves, those are the same leaves in every shot. The main sets that were used in the movie were the Myers House, which was actually an abandoned house that had been owned by a church. And the two homes at the end, during the film's climax, are actually on Orange Grove Avenue in Hollywood. As I mentioned, the film had a low budget, around $320,000. And half of that budget was spent on expensive Panavision cameras so that the film would have the proper aspect ratio. The whole film had to be done with military precision in order to get it done. And of course, just like any movie, it was filmed out of sequence. So to mark the tension, Carpenter had to actually develop a fear meter, a rating of 1 to 10. And before the scene would roll, he would tell the actors, oh, okay, this is a 6. Okay, this is a 3 and everyone would know how to act. I think you need to be a very talented actor or actress to be able to follow that direction and know your top level down. They all did a great job. One of the great assets that Halloween had was the music to Halloween, which went a little something like this. often sends chills through most people who hear it. Now, they did have a composer who worked on the film named Dan Wyman, but that piece is credited to John Carpenter himself, who's a talented keyboardist, even though he cannot read or write a musical note. In the end credits, Carpenter bills himself as the Bowling Green Orchestra when performing the film score. The music in the Halloween movie would continue on into its many sequels, with often just a slight variation on tone or instrumentation. So now let's talk a little bit about the plot of Halloween. It is basically the story of a killer named Michael Myers. Michael, as a young child, kills his 17-year-old sister Judith on Halloween of 1963. He is then put into the Smith Grove Sanitarium. Fifteen years later, Michael escapes and returns to his hometown, where he stalks lori strode and her friends as they try to babysit on halloween the film ends with michael being shot by his psychiatrist we believe michael's dead then we look over the edge of the window where he's fallen out and he's gone sequel halloween had a perfect release date october twenty fifth nineteen seventy eight it opened up slowly but word of mouth grew and eventually the film would go on to gross $55 million theatrically. As I mentioned earlier, most of the people involved with the movie didn't own a piece of it. Nick Castle, who played Michael Myers, was paid only $25 a day. Curtis received $8,000 for her participation. And Pleasance, who was only working five days, decided to take a flat fee of $20,000. When you think about all the money that the film made over the years, you could imagine how much these people must have been kicking themselves. Halloween would go on to spawn nine sequels, including the two reimaginings done by Rob Zombie. Halloween two would have seven times the budget of the original film and would be written and produced by Deborah Hill and John Carpenter. Hill and Carpenter agreed to work on the third movie as long as it did not include Michael Myers, and they stayed on as the producer of that film, even though that third movie, The Season of the Witch, would be written and directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. Then Michael Myers would return for halloween four halloween five halloween six the curse of michael myers halloween h two o in which jamie lee curtis reprises her role and we believe michael myers is killed only to be brought back in halloween eight resurrection then in two thousand seven rob zombie reimagined the halloween movies with a little bit of a prequel with half the plot of the original All done differently. It was an interesting movie. He wanted to make the characters less familiar to modern audiences and thereby revive the fear. That movie did pretty well in the box office. Costing $15 million to make, it would make $80 million worldwide. Of course, that meant Halloween 2 would follow quickly. And they did announce a sequel, but with a different director. Zombie did not like the direction it was taking, and he re upped to write and direct the sequel so that it would continue right after his original movie. That movie is a much bigger departure from the original Halloween, and he has been quoted as saying that he felt more free to change up the mythology after redoing the first one. So the 2009 Halloween 2 earned $31.4 million in the box office, which means Halloween 3 is coming. That one will not be directed by Rob Zombie. According to the Weinsteins, who are producing the film, this movie will be released in October of 2010, and that it'll be written by Todd Farmer, directed by Patrick Lucier, and more importantly, will be in 3D. They actually wanted to make Halloween 2 a 3D film. I don't know if you remember, but in the early 80s, 3D movies were kind of making a comeback, and they investigated making Halloween 2, but 3D was much more expensive back then. Plus, a lot of the filming would be done at night, and the technology just wasn't there to make 3D as effective at night. They would, of course, use 3D in the Friday the 13th movies, and that 3D movie is hilarious. Mike Myers' Reign of Terror has gone far beyond the realm of just movies. There was novelizations of each of the original Halloween movies. There was a great comic series done by Chaos Comics. That was supposed to just be a one shot, but was really well done and well received, and spawned two sequels Halloween 2 The Blackest Eyes, and Halloween 3 The Devil's Eyes. All those stories were written by Phil Nutman and Daniel Farrens. The illustrations would be done by David Brewer and Justiano. In each of those stories, Tommy Doyle is the main protagonist, and the stories that concentrate on his attempts to kill Michael Myers. Michael Myers' merchandise has become very popular over the years in action figures, the mask, obviously, snow globes, bobbleheads, movie posters, hats. So much Michael Myers' merchandise has happened over the years that you could fill a room. In 1983, Wizard Video, who had done a video game version of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, even released a Halloween game for Atari. In the game, the player plays a babysitter who has to protect her children from Michael Myers, who has managed to get inside the house. Now, even though the game is called Halloween and featured the film's theatrical poster as its cover art, internally, the game itself never references any of the characters or even the killer by name from the film. Halloween is so popular that when Halloween 6 came out, and it is famous for the reshoots and behind-the-scenes problems, the fan community at large wasn't happy with the results. So they went back and re-edited the film themselves, and you can find that version of the movie on eBay, often referred to as the producer's cut. I've actually seen the two side by side, and do prefer the producer's cut, because it builds on the mythology of the Michael Myers character, as opposed to the release, which felt a bit rushed, adjusted for inflation Halloween is the fourth highest-grossing horror franchise in U.S. history, bringing in approximately $517 million. The Michael Myers character continues to be a popular choice around the Halloween season. And now, just during this season, try turning on any cable channel or even broadcast television and try not to find one of the Halloween movies on. It's a challenge michael myers is right up there with freddy krueger and jason as one of the more successful modern boogeymen and much like freddy or jason he'll constantly be reinvented when i was in film school we watched dracula and frankenstein and other early horror films and i think halloween is a valid alternative to those it's classic horror with an exceptional formula for tension that grows and grows until the penultimate finale which pits good against evil. And right when you see good finally triumph in typical horror fashion, there's a switch, a turnaround. It doesn't feel cheap. Instead, it makes you look forward to the next film. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist and facebook.com slash retroist if you like the art that shows up on the website during every podcast that's done by christopher tupa christopher tupa's illustrations can be found at the retroist and at his website at ctupa.com. that's c t u p a dot com remember we're talking about halloween on the retroist site and the retroist forum and we'd love to hear from you so drop by the site throw us a comment and join in the fun thanks for listening to the show and i hope you have a great weekend This has been a Red production. Goodbye.